0: Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. says he would do. Amen. I'm so happy for that. Job chapter number 42. Job chapter number 42. Let's stand in honor of the Word of God this morning. Job chapter number 42. Nothing like seriously questioning the wisdom of having been chosen to preach this morning when Brother Sutek walked in the back. Oh, I'm thankful for the opportunity. So good to see him. And Miss Robin, of course. Job chapter 42, just a simple thought this morning. Verse number one Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me, verse number 5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent In dust and ashes. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks, seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. My servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, went, and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. Verse 10, our text verse this morning. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Brother Penner, why don't you pray for us this morning, please. Amen. You may be seated. Undoubtedly, across this pulpit has come some of the finest messages on this book that man has ever heard. Pastor Hank used to preach a message on Job that was fantastic. I heard him preach a message on why Job was saved that I thought was excellent. Brother Fuller has preached, I've heard him preach probably four separate, completely different messages on Job. And Job is an interesting story, and as we know it, to be, to be the oldest book in the Bible. And a very interesting story, to say the least. But as I read through this book a couple of months ago, I was finishing up my favorite section of the book, chapters 36 through the end of the, chapter, end of the book, And this little verse, verse number 10 of chapter 42, did what it often does to all of us that strive to have a consistent walk with the Lord. You can read a verse how many times, but it just happens that one time you read it. Whether it's something going on in your life, whether it's something you've heard, or if it's just something the Lord wants to just throw at you, he throws a special verse. And he threw that verse at me, verse 10, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job uh, when he prayed for his friends. There's a lot of things that can be said about that verse. First of all, those weren't really good friends. I would dare say, I wouldn't even consider them to be friends by what they say to Job. Their counsel is both blunt, it is without any sympathy, and full of ignorance. The Bible itself says uh, that uh, there's another verse, and I wish I would go back there, but we won't, um, verse chapter, chapter 36 or 7, where basically it says, if you don't have wisdom to give to a friend, be quiet. And that's what Elihu told the other friends. You have been filling his ear with bad wisdom. And it's amazing, but the Bible calls them friends. And we know that these friends, when Job was at his lowest point, He's, he's sitting there scraping sores on his body, lost all of his children. Technically, he's lost his wife, or maybe wished he would have, his wife would have been with his children on that fateful day. And uh, has lost all possessions, lost his health, and then his friends show up and add insult to injury. And undoubtedly, by the way that the Scripture tells us in chapter 42, uh, there was a bit of bitterness and just a touch of uneasiness in the heart of Job towards his friends. Now, I know within myself, I certainly understand. And I also know that through all that Job had gone through, he had built up within him uh, a resentment toward why God had chosen him for this difficulty. And I see in verse 10 of chapter 42 that Jesus Christ told Job, when you pray for your friends, then I will turn the captivity from you. And in my mind, uh, this signals the first step on the road to forgiveness. And I think when God saw that Job was going to head down that road of forgiveness... The Bible doesn't tell us specifically that that's exactly what happened. But we know that God did not turn the captivity, the hard times, the difficulties, uh, all that was going wrong in Job's life did not turn until he prayed for his friends. I'm afraid a lot of times many people live their lives locked up and loving it. And we're lock ourselves in a single prison, a lonely, solitary confinement prison cell called unforgiveness. This is a sad place to be in. This is a place of lots of loneliness. This is a place where you have few, if any, friends at all. But it's amazing how often and how long we will stay in this solitary confinement and the whole time act like we're enjoying it. And the big difference between that prison and the prisons that you and I are associated with in this life, in that prison, you have the keys to the prison. You lock yourself up, You have the keys in your pocket. You sit down in solitary confinement and say, this just must be how life is going to be. And if we would just take a small look in Scripture, and if we would just open up the Bible and take just a few good points of advice, take some keys, if you will, that the Bible gives, we could slip those keys into the lock of that prison and unlock that prison of unforgiveness. This morning, I want to take just a few minutes. I want to look at some of those keys that the Bible so clearly offers. I think the first key that the Bible offers is seeing God. Seeing God. Now, when I first started studying this, I really put seeing God for who He really is, and that's a great point. But then I started recognizing that's what I always preach. Seeing God for who He is. If I'm preaching on forgiveness, if I'm preaching on love, if I'm preaching on... You've got to see God for who who He is. And that's a true thing. We've got to see God for who He is. But I think in forgiveness, it's even more simple than that. I think you ought to see God for who He is. That He's mighty. That He's amazing. And that you look at these uh, chapters 41, 40, and 39, when when He goes on a, a, a question asking Job these countless questions about how wonderful He is. And that's why Job in chapter 42 can say, I have no answers. I don't even understand what you're talking about. Who is Leviathan? What are these things you guys... I don't even know what you're talking about, God. I wasn't there when you created the earth. I wasn't there. I don't know how to tell the sun to come up. I don't know how to tell it to rain. I don't know how to do all these things. And yes, God is amazing and God is wonderful and God is big. But I think it's more simple than that. Look in verse number 5, I believe it is. Job says this, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear but now mine eye see at thee. You know how he saw him? He saw him through the eyes of faith. Now, the Bible doesn't clarify whether God was literally standing in front of him so that he could see him like I can see Brother Sutek. But I beg, according to Scripture, in that Job did not, it says nothing about Job taking his shoes off. It says nothing about Job turning around. It says nothing about Job hiding his face. I begged to to, uh, argue this morning. He did not see God face to face. But he said, now I see you. You know how he saw him? Through the eyes of faith. And you know the first step, the first key to forgiveness is seeing God through the eyes of faith we get in the middle of circumstances. We get in the middle of difficult times, whether it's a friend, whether it's a spouse that has said something unkind, whether it's a friend that has jilted us, whether life has just kicked us down, whatever the circumstances. And the first step to unforgiveness in our lives is that we take our eyes off of God being in the middle of the circumstance we're in. And if we could simply open our eyes of faith to the understanding that God is, is there? He's in the middle of it with us. He is. Uh, he knows what we're going through. We are on our way to opening that key, opening up that lock, and setting ourselves free. You know, forgiveness is the cornerstone, it's the cornerstone of Christianity. It's impossible to be a Christian, Christ-like, without forgiveness consistently in our lives. That's an impossibility. I'm afraid our perception of God is too often clouded by the circumstances we're in. When the circumstances we're in ought to make us more clearly focus on God. I mean, how long did Job go in the middle of his circumstances before he saw God in it all? I understand Job, Job was amazing. man. I am definitely not discrediting him. I, I would have probably committed suicide long before my friends even showed up. I, I don't, don't, don't go get me wrong, I'm not criticizing Job for all that he went through. But Job, as great as he was and as, as full of integrity as he was, and, and all of these things that Job had going for him, he was extremely self-righteous. And because of that, when he got in the middle of his circumstances, he had a hard time seeing God through eyes of faith. And the first thing he says when he's talking to God, when he starts to begin this process of turning is now mine I see it. I'm afraid a lot of times we look at the circumstances and we forget a couple of things. We forget that, or we think that God is simply picking on us. Now, it's amazing we won't vocalize these things. But we think them. Job chapter 36, verse number 5. Elihu tells Job this, Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. Now, do you think Elihu is full of hot air? Well, before we we answer that question, first of all, Elihu was a true friend to Job. Elihu was not like the other three friends. Elihu was younger than them, the Bible tells us, but Elihu was wise. What Elihu tells Job is straight down the line. This is exactly the kind of friend that we want to have and that we should be. And what Elihu says, he is simply answering what he sees in the life of Job. And he often quotes what Job said earlier. And one of the things that Elihu says is, Behold, God is mighty He despiseth not any. He's simply saying this, Job. He doesn't, God's not allowing this because he has it out for you. We know God's not a respecter of persons, but it also goes the other way. I know you may be going through a hard time, and please, uh, I am not trying to minimize that. But no matter the difficulty that you find yourself in the midst of, God's not picking on you. He's not singled you out to find out how much is it going to take to break you. He, he has a purpose for what He's doing. I, I think also we think that He really doesn't care for us. I love that song in the in book. Oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is filled. In chapter 36, verse 7. Elihu tells Job, He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. How often when we get in the middle of difficult circumstances, and it may be whatever that might be in your life, and we feel like nobody knows and nobody cares. And oftentimes our heart and our attitude towards God changes because we feel that if He cared, I wouldn't be in this. Do you maybe imagine... That the three Hebrew children felt that way just a little bit as they're being walked up those stairs to be thrown in that fiery furnace. He just doesn't care. May I remind you this morning if you can look, just simply look through the eyes of faith, he cares. He cares. I think also we are convinced that God didn't see that one coming, it took him by surprise. How could you let this happen to me? That's what we're saying. God, how come you didn't see this coming? Job 34, verses 21 through 23. Elihu speaking here also. He says unto Job, For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth what? All his goings. There is no darkness, no shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide. Themselves, for he will not lay upon man more than right. Are we really getting that this morning? He will not lay upon man more than right. Whatever it is in your mind and in your heart that is so big that this had to be an accident The Bible tells us that he lays no more on us than is right. So obviously he felt you can handle it. He will not lay more on you than is right. I think also a lot of times when we lose sight of God in the midst of a trial, it's been too long since we've returned to the well of grace for forgiveness. Job chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. This is the only time Job talks in about seven chapters. Until chapter 42, he doesn't, Elihu starts talking and Job just shuts up. As soon as Elihu gets done, God pipes in. Job doesn't even have a chance to answer back. He finally gets a chance to answer in chapter number 40, verse number 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. I think a lot of times we lose sight of God in the midst of a trial because it's been too long since we've dipped back into the well of forgiveness. A consistent, continual time of coming to God and pleading forgiveness reminds us of how good God is. And when we are consistently reminded how good God is and how much He has forgiven us, it once again gives us a better perspective and we can once again clearly see God in the midst of a trial. But a problem is a lot of times we get in a hardship, we get in a difficulty, and we start losing sight of God we quit coming back to God and asking for forgiveness for more sins and we start getting farther from God and farther from God and farther from God and is it isn't any wonder that our hearts become colder and colder and less forgiving and less forgiving because it's been so long since we felt that sweet, sweet touch of forgiveness that we've lost what it feels like. And oftentimes we just lose. Uh, how, how, how much more precious is it In a relationship when you've recently made up. You reappreciate that person when they knowingly and obviously forgive you for something you know you should not have been forgiven for. How easy does it make it for you to forgive them back when they've recently forgiven you? And I'm afraid a lot of times we just aren't seeing God because it's been so long since we've made things between us and God right. And if we will just start by coming back to God and saying, God, I'm not seeing you very clearly right now. All I can see is the circumstances. All I can see is the dead children. All I can see is the thousands of animals lost. All I can see is the boils on my arms. All I can see is the friends that that say awful things to me. I can't see you. God, I've tried to justify myself once. Trust by myself even twice, but God, now I'm shutting my mouth. And I'm sorry. And the next thing you see Job doing, forgiving his friends by praying for him. The first key on the road to forgiveness is seeing God. Seeing God through the eyes of faith, second thing, the second key on the road to forgiveness is understanding ourselves. Job tells us in verse number 6 of chapter 42, Wherefore, I abhor myself. I went to Webster's Dictionary to get a definition of abhor. We all understand what it means to regard with extreme repugnance, to loathe. You know, a lot of times when we mess up or Sometimes we'll be playing basketball and you miss an easy shot or whatever. We say, man, I hate myself. We don't mean it. We really don't mean it. You know what Job says? I hate myself right now. I simply hate myself. I'm looking at myself with extreme repugnance. That repugnance to me is the idea of when I see something, I want to puke. Job says, when I look at myself in the mirror right now, I make myself sick. You know what Job had to realize? That within himself, there's no good thing. This is quite a change from the tone of what Job had been saying earlier. Look at chapter 32. Chapter 32 of Job, verses 1 and 2. So these three men ceased to answer Job. Why did they cease to answer Job? Because... He was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Baberkel, the Buzite of the kindred of Ram, against Job, because his wrath kindled, because he justified himself rather than God. Job 35, verse 2. Elihu spake moreover and said unto Job, Thinkest thou this to be right, that thou saidst my righteousness is more than God's? That is a huge transition. In chapter 35, Elihu tells you, can you actually listen to yourself speak, Job, that you say that your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of God? And then in chapter 42, we have Job uh, in utter uh, humility saying, I abhor myself. The 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 thing of it is, is when we see God through the eyes of faith for who He really is, only then... Can we see ourselves for who we really are? Before God started talking, Job says, I am righteous. Job's friends quit speaking to him because he was righteous in his own eyes. But we find it after God gets done showing how awesome he is, Job says, I abhor myself to think that I have more righteousness than God. That I would justify myself in the eyes of God. That I would think that God's forgotten about me that I would think that God is picking on me, to think that God does not care for me, I abhor myself that those thoughts would ever cross my mind. I hate myself for what I've done. How do we understand ourselves? There's a lot of ways to do that. A couple quick things. You've got to readjust the focus on yourself, not others. The first step to understanding ourselves is readjusting the focus on ourselves. It's amazing how little time we really spend examining ourselves. The Bible tells us to examine yourselves. Prove your own selves. The Bible never tells us to judge another. And I'm not going to preach a message on being critical, although those are often needed. But when we are to understand ourselves, we simply have to readjust our focus on ourselves. If we focused on ourselves, we would soon be too occupied fixing ourselves, and would not have time to fix others. You You know why Job could say, I abhor myself? Because right now, the only person he was critical of was himself. You know why we can't forgive others? Because we have built up in our mind that we don't deserve this, that we're better than this. And because we're looking at others, we realize, I don't have to forgive them. But if we look at ourselves, we realize, I really need to forgive them. Read just to focus on yourself. Number two, to recognize where all of your goodness comes from. Boy, isn't it easy to be a glory hound? Wow, that's a natural thing, isn't it? Now, I love the story. It happens two times in Scripture. Almost the exact same story. And I know this is kind of in a sadistic way that I like these kind of stories, but I do. You know the, the, the guy that found Saul who was dead? Remember that story? Saul tells his, his, one guy, follow me and kill me. He says, no way, I'm not going to do it. So the other guy falls on him. Well, there was a guy that saw it all. The guy that saw it is the one that went and told David. And I'm not going to go back there to read it. You can go back there and read it later. I promise I'm not pulling your leg here. But the guy that saw Saul die... Because the guy that actually killed Saul killed himself too. The guy that saw it happen goes back and tells David. You remember what he told David? I killed Saul. <laughs> you know what happened to him. David said, hey, lop his head off. You know what that is? That's a glory hound gone wrong. You know what? Aren't you glad God's not like King David? Because we come up to God all the time. Say, God, you see that? Pretty impressive. We don't say it. We act it. And God saw the whole thing. We forget where our goodness comes from. Psalms 51, verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know what that is? That's God acting through David. David, in the the realm of repentance, said, God, I don't even have it within me to do right, to even make this right. I cannot have within myself a clean heart. I cannot within myself have a right spirit. It's not within me to even be capable of these things. You do it for me. And when we come and we recognize it and we have the attitude of Job is, God, I abhor myself. Then we'll find ourselves in the attitude of David saying, God, I don't even have it within me to make it right. I can't have a clean heart. I can't have a right spirit. But God, if you'll create it, I'll take it. If you'll renew it, I should be appreciating it right now. We'll sit there. Glorifying ourselves for what we've done when we ought to be sitting there like Job and saying, God, I abhor myself. I can do nothing right. And you also have to remember where you came from. Boy, we have short memories about things that really matter, don't we? David said he brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. I love first Corinthians six, nine through eleven. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor fornicators. Verse number 11. And such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified by your own goodness. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hey, we forget how really degenerate we were. Slash are. How we will truly never abhor ourselves until we remind ourselves consistently, continually what we were. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? I'm excited about on my way to heaven. I'm excited my destination has been changed. And it doesn't take long to remember who changed it. And it wasn't me. And when we can renew our focus back on ourselves, when we can remember where our goodness comes from, and when we can once again remember where God has brought us from, we will soon have the reality and the remembrance There's nothing good within me. When we see God through the eyes of faith, when we truly understand ourselves, and we last but not least value others as greater than ourselves. How we live in a selfish world. It's easy to see it in others, but we're looking at the mirror this morning. I, I, I catch myself doing this all the time. We all do it. Just last night, I'm pulling into a restaurant to pick up some desserts to go. And I'm trying to pull up, and there's these three guys walking in the middle of the road. It was like a big U turn in the restaurant there, and I needed to go around to the U turn and park in the to go parking. And I'm waiting, and they're walking in the road, and we're right behind them, and they're walking at their own leisure. It's dark, so my headlights are on. I'm right behind them. It's impossible that they do not know I am there. Do they hurry? No. Do they get out of the way? No. And you know what I find myself saying? This is what the world is coming to. (laughs) I need my coffee now. And then I said this. These are the same people that play their music at 200 decibels at 2 o'clock in the morning. They care only about themselves. This world as a selfish world. And as true as that may be, because I'm sticking with the story, we so often recognize all those character traits in others, but yet we don't see it in ourselves. How often have we not gotten out of the way of God working in a service? How often we have we not gotten out of the way of somebody who's more talented than us? In a particular ministry. This is my ministry. Get out. We're in the way of progress. We're selfish. Because we value ourselves above others. And that is the true root of the problem of why we have no forgiveness in our heart. Because we value ourselves higher than the person that offended us. May I remind you that 2,000 years ago, our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died on a cross. You know the reason he did that? He valued you far above an old self. And because he valued me, he went through what he went through. And that's why he simply asks us, can't you value another above yourself? I'm not asking you to get up on a cross and somebody to put a nail through your hands. I'm not asking you to go through what I went through. I'm just asking you to follow my example. Why don't you value somebody else higher than yourself? And see how long you can hold on to that unforgiveness and bitterness and distrust in your heart. You can't do it. You know, Job could not. You know, we pray for people that we value. When we consciously say, "I value this person." We value them, therefore we pray. This is one of the reasons that prayer is so often missing in the life of a Christian. Because we are so consumed with ourselves that we don't value others high enough to pray for them. And it isn't any wonder that God said, Job, pray for them. I know what they said about you. Pray for them. Because in your mind, you have to value them even if it's only for one minute or two minutes three minutes, you've got to give your time for them. You've got to put aside what you feel. Sometimes you've got to put aside what you know. You know, forgiveness is not dependent on how much you know about somebody. It's a good thing, because the longer you get married, the more you know. Therefore, the more you forgive. Therefore, the more you love. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus Christ said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know what? Most of the times when we're upset, when we have unforgiveness in our heart, we have bitterness in our heart, the other person didn't even know they offended us. You know what Jesus Christ said, I don't care whether they know what they're doing or not. I forgive you. Aren't you glad he did that? Hallelujah. God will hold no sin against any man that will simply ask for his forgiveness. Acts chapter 5, the Bible says, God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you slew, hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Acts 8.22, I like this verse. This takes forgiveness to the next level. And it makes you really thankful you can't read people's minds because God can't hold us to this. Acts 8.22 says, Repent therefore of this thy weakness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. God doesn't just forgive what we do. He forgives what we think. Well, hallelujah for that. He says, look, I even forgive you the thoughts of your heart. I forgive you. Aren't you glad you don't have to forgive people the thoughts of their hearts? Aren't you glad you don't know the thoughts of their hearts? We wouldn't get along with anybody. That's why it's so hard to get along with ourselves. Because we do know the thoughts of our hearts. God only asks us to forgive what they do, not what they think. So guess what? He doesn't even hold us to the same standard as He is. Praise God for that. You know, no one ever said that forgiveness would be easy. It's amazing. All the things we really treasure in life didn't come easy, yet we still want the easy way out. I mean, we face this all the time. Anybody that works anywhere faces this all the time. Especially those that contract out whatever kind of labor that you might do. And, and you're charging people for whatever you are doing. Uh, and and uh, they always want to go the easy way out. Most people don't want to go the cheap way out. Because it's easy. And they come to you crying three years later. This didn't work. And you're sitting there and you want to say this when you're glad they don't know the thoughts of your heart. Because inside you're saying, I told you so. I warned you so. But we didn't want to go that way. It's natural. We want to go the easy way out. God never promised forgiveness would be easy. We just expected that God is, we're going to hear a great message on forgiveness going come to the altar and say, oh God, I forgive everybody that's ever done anything to me. And then we see him two days later and we wonder why there's still resentment in our heart. Oh man, God, I forgave him. It should be easy. You want to always take the easy route out. Why the easy way? Well, I think the reason we want to take the easy way out is because it's easy. It doesn't take anything from us. Forgiveness demands of us. You're going to have to give something up to forgive. Time, effort, something. God, sure, Christ sure gave up a lot to forgive us. I think we take the easy way out because we aren't currently viewing the negative consequences you know no there's no such thing as cigarettes no you don't you don't see any advertisement about cigarettes It's not printed on the label one of the, one out of every three people that will pick up this pack will die from this pack of cigarettes. but that's the statistics one out of three people that smoke will die from cigarettes one out of three. but it's not saying it on there is it. We want to take the easy way out. Nobody says what the, the bad consequences are coming. And we want to take the easy way out because we don't see down the road. My children do not appreciate when I make them take the hard road. The hard road of doing things the right way. Uh, my son, three or four weeks ago, we're on our way home. He had had a very bad day at school. That does happen. Once, more than once. Well, I was on the way home and and we're talking about what he had done and why he shouldn't do that and what's going to happen because he did that. And, you know, all of those things. We're just talking as fathers and sons are supposed to do. And I forget oftentimes how honest, brutally honest my son is. I've learned a lot from my son. And he says, Dad, you just don't understand. I try really hard. It's just too hard to do right. From the mouth of a five-year-old. It's just too hard to do right. You know what I was reminded of? Sometimes as a father I do forget. Because I'm so used to doing right, consistently trying to do the right, and it becomes a pattern because your parents help you make those patterns in your life. That you forget as a five-year-old. It's hard. And you know what? I didn't sit there and go, no, it's not hard. Because that's not true. Doing right can be hard. But oftentimes we take the easy route out because we aren't in current view of the negative consequences. And so we sit there with unforgiveness in our heart. We sit there with bitterness towards another person in our heart. And we choose the easy route, which is ignore it. Because we don't see the negative consequences coming down the road. We don't see that jail cell slowly shutting on our happiness, on our joy, on our friends, and on anybody that's going to come in contact with us. They're going to have to see us, talk to us, and be with us through prison bars. We don't see that, and so we take the easy route out. I think we also take the easy route out because we can't see the benefits of a hard decision. My children have no concept of the positives of doing right right now. I mean, you can try. I mean, you can give them a piece of candy. You can take them to the store. You can give them a reward. You can do those things, but they don't see the real benefits of doing right. Not yet. And oftentimes in our Christian lives as grown adults, we're faced with the choices of, as we're dealing with this morning, forgiveness. And we take the easy route out and Choose to ignore it and put it on the back burner and just ignore that person for the time being and choose not to make them our friends. And and we build up these things in our lives because we can't see the positive effect of when we get true forgiveness from that person and we find that forgiveness and work that forgiveness in our heart and life and realize down the road, two, three, four years down the road, we've made a dear friend. Or the joy that we have is a benefit from that forgiveness. Or the true relationship we have with Christ because there's nothing built up between us and another brother. The Bible says don't even bring a gift to the altar unless you're right with your brother. It says leave your gift. He didn't say give me your gift. He says leave it. He says I don't even want it. Whatever you want to do, your your gift of money, your gift of time, your gift of service, keep it. That's what the Bible says in Matthew 5. Keep it because I don't want it if you can't forgive people. sounds serious to me. Christ at the cross didn't see the millions of souls that would be saved. He understood it was coming. I love Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him. You know what that means? There was no joy in it. That means the joy was set in front. Guess what? I have hard news for you right now. When you're in the midst of it, the joy might be setting out there. It may not be right here. You might just have to make that one more right decision. You might have to make sure you just claim forgiveness and you make sure you forgive that person for now. And that joy may come a week later, a month later, or maybe even a year later in that situation. But it will come. Yes. Jesus Christ had to go through the same thing when He forgave you of your sins. Is it any less for us to do the same in forgiving somebody else? And oftentimes, we're not even forgiving them for sins. Oftentimes, we're forgiving them for preference. or Something they don't even know they did. Romans chapter 4, and we'll finish. Romans chapter number 4. Romans 4, verse number 7. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Verse number 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised. I love the end of verse number 11. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. That righteousness might be imputed unto them also. I'm here to tell you this morning that God offers forgiveness for your sins, but He doesn't just offer forgiveness. He offers righteousness. I'm glad one day when I stand before God, my sin has been imputed on Jesus Christ. It's been on, put on Christ's account. And Christ's righteousness has been put on my account. And one of these days I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to claim His forgiveness and Christ's righteousness. Because one day I came and asked Christ to forgive me of my sins and take away my sins. And He didn't just forgive me, He gave me His righteousness. This morning we've talked a lot about our forgiveness towards each other. All we can do is forgive. We can't give righteousness. We can just forgive. Christ goes a step farther again. He not only forgives, He gives. The Bible tells us that it's impossible to go to heaven as a sinner, full of sins. The only way we can get into heaven is if we have the righteousness of Christ. And the only way to get the righteousness of Christ is to come to God and ask for forgiveness of your sins. And I don't know who this morning might be sitting here this morning, and you've never truly felt what it's like to be forgiven. It's no wonder oftentimes we struggle with being able to forgive others because we've never been forgiven ourselves. Truly forgiven by Christ. Maria Feodor, wife of Alexander III of Russia, walked by her husband's desk one day and saw on there a note condemning a man. It simply said this, Pardon impossible, comma to be sent to Siberia. She looked down at that piece of paper and as only a mother could. She reached down on that paper and changed one thing and said this. Pardon, impossible to be sent to Siberia. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago moved the comma? He just simply moved the comma and said, pardon, impossible to be sent to hell. I'm glad October the 20th, 1999, I came before Jesus Christ and He moved the comma. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never had that done to you by Jesus Christ. It's as simple as asking. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.